Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Shed Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jared. We have the infamous, one and only, South Jersey Jason down the corner. How you doing, sir? Good, but for this episode, you can call me Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. This asshole <laughs> left me here for a half hour waiting for him. But it's all right. We got some field testing done for our next, uh, yeah. our next filming locations. Which, again, guys, thank you so much for checking out. It's yeah. still going strong. So I'm shocked. I wonder if it'll hit 1K. I think it will. Yeah, give it like maybe another week or so. I think we'll get 1K. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. moving on. We're moving on. We got a couple more ideas in the hatch. Already got the cutscenes ready for the next one, but you guys don't yeah. know what that is yet. So you what are, you are uh, working hard on those cutscenes? Fucking moving. These ones are better than the last ones, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's amazing what I could do with Photoshop now. <laughs> <laughs> All self-taught too. I'm very impressed with myself. Good job. Good job. God damn you! Sorry, dogs. Yep, you're 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 pet sitting this week. God, yeah. A couple more days, and I'll have a day and a half of of uh, bereavement, and then. It'll be again for another two days. So uh, here I am working nine to five, and the wife's in Tennessee having moonshine. Moonshine to go into a museum that we should be at for a filming location, but whatever. Sending me a picture of Ted Mundy's Volkswagen, right? Mm -hmm. The Beetle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What are we going to do? I got to go golfing tomorrow. That's exciting. Are you? Nice. You got your. you got like your golf pants with the long socks that you tuck into, you know. No, no, and, no but I got this know. awesome. This is my putter. If you take a look at my putter cover. Oh, that's cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, baby. Got a oh, shit. Got to wrap the brain. Even when you were having golfing time. Even when I'm golfing. Yeah, I'm on the hunt for haunters that golf because I'm thinking about putting together. I found a couple. Maybe have a okay. little haunt scramble. Yeah, there you go. That'd be fun. I know. So what the hell have you been up to this week? Any watch anything good? Uh, well, you know, I'm still watching Under the Banner of Heaven. I got one episode left, and halfway through the series, I found out this motherfucking story is based on a true crime. So I think I'm going to have to put something together because it's such a good series, and I'm 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 just shocked that I haven't ever seen like a true crime documentary about it because you're tackling true crime and religion and you put them together one of my favorites yeah yeah and it really you know and it, it gave me a history lesson on the birth of the mormon uh religion and how that came to be and how joseph smith wasn't this great guy we all thought he was well, did you ever hear the daniel tosh joke about that no. He's like, you can't have a religion when your grandfather's old enough to say, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it, you come to find out, like, through the years, they hit away, like, how, you know, some of the things in the Mormon society came to be. Like, the elders thought this wasn't, we don't want our, you know, our kin to know about this so we're going to take this out and put it in the vaults so uh very very good story and but also sad at the same time as how we were i mean obviously it's no shock that you know we almost decimated the native americans but we would try to decimate people for wanting to start their own religion and whatnot so um yeah very good andrew garfield i'm surprised i think he might have been nominated for like a uh like an emmy or golden globe but he's really good and if you're a fan of yellowstone the guy who plays the uh like the chief of the casino yeah yeah he is andrew garfield's partner and he's like an outsider so it's it's it and those two have really good chemistry as well but um the cast isn't like and i mean it's a great ensemble cast and like so for like the mormon side other i mean it's take basically takes place in a small town outside of like salt lake but the whole town is like mormon so um the cast for like the the family in question is they're called the lafferty's and they're like well to do well known in that town and the oldest brother is Sam Worthington, who was real big, like when Avatar came out, you know, yeah. 
So, um, and then the father, he's he always plays like the creepy henchman. Like if you watched um Hell on Wheels on AMC, he was like the main villain for like the first couple of seasons. So very good. And like I said, I only have one episode left. Uh, our boy from Waco, um, Rory Culkin, who played David Thibodeau, he plays one of the brothers as well. Huh. He's he's really good in this as well. Speaking Other of Waco, than, I'm all caught up. Yeah, I still have to watch last Friday's episode. I'll probably catch it tomorrow. Um, so good. But, you know, it was only it's only like six episodes. I, I know. Think. We only got two left. Yeah. Um, haven't really watched anything, but new on demand, uh, Renfield and was came out last week. And as of today, Evil Dead Rises is on demand. There you go, guys. Get out there, rent those movies. Got some horror coming up. Uh, Beetlejuice got a date. Did you see I that? I heard in September 2024. Yeah. And apparently, yeah. Jenny Ortega is playing the daughter of uh, Lydia. Lydia, yeah. Do you feel she's gonna get typecast now? It's fine. Keep her in horror. I'm all for it. But yeah, but I feel like yeah, while she's great in horror, I feel like unfortunately she's gonna be typecast as that odd person, you know, like and but she could do so much more. Well, I mean, I think Audrey Plaza went through the same thing, but now she's starting to branch off into different shit. So maybe it'll be for the start and we'll see what happens. And this week, now I'm a fan of shark movies. Have you seen the trailer for The Meg 2? No, but I heard you guys bitching about it. Oh, I watched it last night, and I'm like, what in the Sharknado shit is this? It, it, I When I watched it, I definitely got Sharknado vibes. Uh, there's a scene where Jason Statham's riding a jet ski and has like a samurai sword. Oh. And he's riding a wave in with the sword going against the Meg. And all I could think about was in Sharknado when the guy had the chainsaw, you know, and goes through the cha- um, the shark. Definitely. And the little dog in the first one's back. So we're like, is he going to live this time? Um, definitely. It's to me, it's garbage. Um, but that's how they're filming it. Like a like a horror comedy. Yeah. And I'm just like, nah, can't get into it because yeah. the books are the books are anything but they're the opposite. So, but yeah, uh, Dave, Dave, you know, Dave and I were going back on it on uh, his, our page, the the third channel, Home of Horror, and he knows it's going to suck, but he shared it anyway. And I'm just like, mm, this is dumb. Yeah. Oh, so man. You went to The Haunt this past weekend. How I was did. That? We went to Field of Terror, first time for an all-season event there. It was good. I mean, two of the houses are staples. Like, I would drive mm-hmm. up there just for those two. But they did some kind of, like, they normally have four attractions. But this one, they did, like, a hybrid where they okay. had, like, you start on the hayride and then go off into um, their trail. So it wasn't, okay. like, a real attraction. So I didn't, dis- I, I didn't score that one. Because I okay. just I, I know they're working on stuff, so that's why mm-hmm. they did that. So I just left it alone. Gotcha. But we All did right. uh, had four fans come up to us, which was pretty cool. Uh, the one guy said he's going to check out the filming locations video. Hopefully, he likes oh, cool. that. Then, um, yeah, that review that post got two hundred views already. So off oh, season, good, good for you. Good yeah, for you. I never get off season views. I usually end up at about a hundred. Okay. After How to make you feel when you had uh, fans of your other podcast come up to you? Still weird. Yeah, it, it's always. Put, did you like put stunner shades on? No, <laughs> but you know, like I, I forget because I'm just you know I'm there experiencing everything, videoing everything. I have a plan in my head what's coming on. Then some stranger comes up and says, "Hey, I watch your show." I'm like, "What show?" Oh shit, yeah, I did. Because <laughs> I'm so used to being a website. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, yeah. Like, certain people would know who we were just because we were wearing them. But now that I'm on video, it's, like, more in your face. Yeah. Uh, that's that's cool. Yeah. And it's beautiful weather, too, right? Oh, it was so nice out. I was yeah. in my shorts, my hoodie. I was just nice and comfy, moving good. Nice. But, yeah, I'm, um, I'm interested to see what they do during the season. I don't know if I'll be back there for the haunt season because there's a ton of new ones I want to get to. Mm-hmm. 
So it's, yeah. it's going to be hard making a schedule around like the places I need to go back to versus the places I want to get. Yeah, to. and you're like uh, five, what five, five and a half months away from home season, or four, four in a couple of days, four, four in a couple of days. Nice. And I remember how it was for you last year when you're like, oh, I can't wait, can't wait, dude. I'll, I'll hit that about July. Nice. Uh, and also today, happy birthday to Friday the Thirteenth, the original, forty three mm. years ago today. It came out in theaters. Good shirt, good shirt. So, um, yeah, if I wasn't like, if I didn't have school tomorrow, I would uh, stay up and watch it. But like I said, I had dinner tonight and I'm like, all right, I got uh, 45 minutes before 730. I'm just going to relax. I was watching um, History Greatest Mysteries, talking about the Loch Ness Monster. Next thing I know, I wake up. Where are you, fucker? Shit happens, dude. I piss out my recliner all the time. Yeah. Only in the well, recliner. Know, I, uh, I came home and I fed the animals and I made uh, chicken drumsticks in the uh, in the air fryer and had a, had a setting and I think that's what did it. Just fell asleep. So it happens. But we're here to talk about, uh, you know, a movie that not so much the original scared me. As much as the second one, the original, I think the only parts that really freaked me out were the tree and the clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the acting was so stellar in these. Oh, movies. you know, and that's the thing. You believe that they were a family. Yeah. You know, like Craig T. Nelson and um, Joe Beth Williams had such great chemistry. Mm-hmm. And the family did, too. Like we were first and we're talking we're talking about the Poltergeist and the Poltergeist curse, but this was the debut of Heather O'Rourke, uh, Dominique Dunn, who was already an established actress, and um, I forget the little boy's name, but everyone's favorite uh, medium, Zelda Rubenstein, as um, uh, what was her name? Um, God damn, what was her character's name? Caroline. Stay away from the light. What the what the hell was her? Uh, Tangina. Tangina. Tangina, yeah, Tangina. <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about the. You're going to be talking about the Poltergeist curse. The curse of Poltergeist, and one of these stories I didn't know about. It's kind of new. Oh, okay. So the, let's get into this. Okay. So I first watched Poltergeist. Not long after I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. So okay. I was very young, and it, it's a movie that always stuck with me. I've always loved mm-hmm. it. I love the whole yeah. franchise. You can say what you want um, about three, but part it was a turd. It still had good moments. What? What part? Oh, that the mirrors breaking was creepy. I think the mirror, like when it was following them when it first started cracking, you know, like going down as they're going down the elevator, and I think uh, that scene, and when they're in the parking garage, and like. The puddle turns into like a portal. Yeah. That was probably it. But what really killed it was the main family. They weren't there. Yeah. So shit happens. All right. So Poltergeist might be even more terrifying off screen than it is on screen. The horror franchise launched in 1982. It was a good year. (laughs) What else was launched in 1982? There you go. Birth two sequels in 1986 and 1988, as well as a recent reboot, which would have been a good movie if it wasn't a Poltergeist remake. Yeah, because I love Sam Rockwell. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Starring Sam Rockwell. But what's even scarier than the premise of angry ghosts haunting an innocent family is the strange real life occurrences that happen around the filming of the original trilogy. Whether or not you believe in curses, I'm not really sold on curses, but... And particularly this one, famously dubbed the Poltergeist Cursed. You have to admit that odd happenings are more than just a little eerie. Young actress Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, a.k.a. the little girl sitting in front of the TV in the image behind us here, met her maker too soon, when she died at the age of 12 from cardiac arrest caused by septic shock. She passed away on February 1st, 1988, just four months before Poltergeist 3, her final film, was released. Yeah, and that was a big doctor's uh, ignorance. Yeah. Something that was simple turned into something a lot more. Yeah. 
It 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 really sucks. And yeah. like I watched a special on that and the news went to like her school and said she was mm. just such a good girl. She she didn't care about the movie. She wanted to make friends. She wanted to hang out with kids. So like she was just living her life. Yeah, and I think the I think the reason she got the role is she had auditioned for ET, I believe, and lost out to Drew Barrymore. And I think that might have been why, but Steven Spielberg like fell in love with her. And there's a famous picture of him with both Drew Barrymore and um Heather O'Rourke together. Like he's like side by like they're on one side of him and oh yeah 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 yeah, um you know for many years we were led to believe that toby hooper directed this film and steven spielberg was mainly a producer but then shortly before toby hooper's death i think it was finally revealed that now it was a steven spielberg (laughs) he directed it (laughs) and you know why this movie was made um because E.T. something to do with E.T., right? No. Like, no, what was why? Steven it? Spielberg had an image in his head of filming a ghost kissing a person. So hmm. he made a whole movie where a ghost never kissed a person. That's <laughs> mm, weird. Okay. But I was listening to Steven a podcast a weird. and he said yeah. that a lot of movies are made by thinking about certain shots and sometimes you don't even get to that shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you I mean, it's hard to believe that this movie is PG too. You know? Yeah, that clown uh, was fucking creepy. Uh, yeah, I think that clown gave everyone nightmares. It gave me nightmares, and um, Sean Clark owns that clown. There's two. Sean Clark two. owns one, and uh, Mister Ghost Adventures owns the other. Oh, really? I believe okay. so. Yeah. Nice. Of course, he would own it. Of course, he would. <laughs> he probably nope. says. This doll is haunted. <laughs> this is what calls the curse. Yeah. <laughs> Let me. It's like when he saw the Annabelle and took it out of its case. Oh, I was suddenly possessed. Yeah. <laughs> a fucking guy. Moving on. Dominique Dunn, <laughs> who played Carol Ann's older sister in the first Poltergeist, was strangled to death by her ex boyfriend five months after the release of the film. Yep. On October 30th, 1982, a few weeks after Sweeney and Dunn broke up, Dunn was at her West Hollywood home rehearsing for the miniseries V with actor David Packer. While she was speaking to a female friend on the phone, Sweeney had the operator break into the conversation. Dunn told her friend, oh God, it's Sweeney, let me get him off the phone. Ten minutes later, however, Sweeney showed up at Dunn's home after speaking to him through the locked door, Dunn agreed to speak to him on the porch. While Packer remained inside, outside the two began to argue. Later, Packer said that he heard smacking sounds, two screams, and a thud. Concerned, he called police, but he was informed that Dunn's home was out of their jurisdiction. Packer then phoned a friend and told him that if he was found dead, John Sweeney was his killer. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, she could have been probably a amazing star in her own right. Um, I remember V the TV show and David Packer, he was one of the central characters who's a human and um gets um basically brainwashed by the propaganda of the visitors. And she most likely, if they were rehearsing, would have been his on-screen girlfriend because um he does have a girlfriend who becomes part of the resistance he chooses the visitors her family chooses resistance but then his character ends up now she ends up getting knocked up by a visitor and here's the best part and i remember this because the um the end scene for that episode she gives birth and, <laughs> and willie played by robert england is helping with the birthing because he is a good visitor and i just remember she gives birth to a baby alien and it looked like a like a lizard it was so freaky and <laughs> that image just stayed with me um but her her father was dominic dunn and he actually had his own show on a and e like it was like a, a criminal justice show. He he basically spent the rest of his life helping families of violence and whatnot. He's written a lot of couple books. 
her older brother is actually Dominic Dunn, who was the devil in End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And this case actually led to stricter um, stalking laws because at the time there was no laws against stalkers and, you know, celebrities were just, you know, fodder to these people. Uh, so unfortunately, her death had to help this. And the guy only served like 10, not even 20 years, and he got out, changed his name, and continued on his life being a restaurant chef. Yeah, we're getting into that. Yeah. Packer left the home through the back entrance, approached the driveway, and saw Sweeney and some nearby bushes kneeling over Dunn. Sweeney told Packer to call the police. When police arrived, Sweeney met them in the driveway with his hands in the air and stated, I killed my girlfriend, and I tried to kill myself. Sweeney later testified that he and Dunn had argued, but he could not remember what happened after their exchange. He claimed that he could only recall being on top of her, with his hands around her neck. That's usually the um, the go-to cop-out, you know. Dunn was transported to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, where she was placed on life support. She never regained consciousness. Over the following days, doctors performed brain scans, which revealed that due to oxygen deprivation, she had no brain activity. On November 4th, her parents consented to have her removed from life support. At the request of her mother, Dunn's kidneys and heart were donated to transplant recipients. Her funeral was held on November 6th at the Church of the Good Shepherd at Beverly Hills. Her godfather, Martin Manulis, delivered a eulogy. She was buried in Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery. On the night of Dunn's attack, responding officers found Sweeney standing by Dunn's unconscious body in the driveway. A spokesman for the West Hollywood Sheriff later told reporters that Sweeney told officers, I killed my girlfriend. He was immediately arrested and charged with attempted murder. Those charges were dropped after Dunn's death, however. Sweeney was charged with first-degree murder, to which he pleaded not guilty. Sweeney was later charged with assault with intent to do great bodily harm when, during a preliminary trial hearing, he admitted that he and Dunn had a physical alteration on altercation on September 26, 1982, the day before she filmed the Hill Street Blues episode, in which she appeared with visible bruises on her face and body. He denied assaulting Dunn, however, claiming that she accidentally incurred the bruises when he tried to prevent her from leaving their home. Wow, yeah. Sweetie's trial began in August of 1983, and it was presided over by Judge Barton S. Katz. During the trial, Sweeney took the stand in his own defense. He testified that he had not intended to harm Dunn the night he arrived at her home. He claimed that he had reconciled that they were planning to move back in together and that they had two that the two had daily discussions about getting married and having children. On the night of October 30th, Sweeney said that Dunn had abruptly changed her mind about a reconciliation. However, telling him that she had been leading him on and lying to him about getting back together. At that point, Sweeney said that he exploded and lunged towards her. Sweeney claimed to have no recollection of attacking Dunn until he discovered that he was on top of her with his hands around her neck. He then realized that she was not breathing. Sweeney said that he attempted to revive her by making her walk around, but she fell down. He then attempted to give her CPR, which caused Dunn to vomit. Sweeney, that he also vomited, ran into Dunn's house, consumed two bottles of pills in an attempt to kill himself. He then returned to the driveway where he laid down beside Dunn, waiting for the pills to take effect. Sweeney's court-appointed attorney, Michael Adelson, argued that his client's actions were neither premeditated nor were they executed with malice. Instead, he maintained that Sweeney, provoked by Dunn's alleged deception, acted in the heat of passion. So that's just like a sidebar. So it just came to me. Her older brother wasn't Dominic Dunn. That was her father. Uh, Griffin Dunn was his name. Oh, Griffin okay. Dunn. Yeah. I'd like to correct myself when I... Have That's all right. <laughs> Dunn's family disputed Sweeney's claim that she had reconciled with him. However, they insisted that he went to Dunn's home on October 30th in an effort to persuade her to reconcile after she told him that their breakup was permanent. The prosecution and the police investigators also dismissed Sweeney's version of events because there was no physical evidence that, it that he had consumed pills in an attempt to commit suicide at the time of his arrest. 
Upon their arrival, the police said that they found Sweeney's demeanor to be both calm and collective. Deputy Frank DeMillo, the first officer to arrive on the scene, testified that Sweeney told him, Man, I blew it. I killed her. I didn't think I choked her that hard, but I don't know. I just kept on choking her. I just lost my temper and blew it again. The medical examiner who performed Dunn's autopsy determined that the victim had been strangled for at least three minutes. Given the results of the autopsy, the police and prosecutors dismissed the defense argument that Sweeney acted unconsciously. However, because they concluded that, in the three minutes in which Sweeney strangled the victim, he had ample opportunities to regain, regain control of his actions, which may have saved Dunn's life. To establish a history of Sweeney's violent behavior, the prosecution called one of Sweeney's ex-girlfriends, Lillian Pierce, and asked her to testify. Pierce, who at the request of Sweeney's attorney, did not testify... <coughs> Alright, sorry, but that almost just died on something. I think it was a popcorn kernel from the other night. Anyway, Pierce asked her to testify. Stated that she and Sweeney had dated on and off from 1977 to 1980. Pierce claimed that during the relationship, Sweeney had assaulted her on 10 separate occasions, and as a result, she was hospitalized twice for the injuries which she sustained. During one of the assaults, Pierce sustained a perforated eardrum and a collapsed lung. She later sustained a broken nose. During Pierce's testimony, Sweeney became enraged, jumped up from his seat, and ran towards the door leading to the judge's chambers. He was subdued by two bailiffs and four armed guards. Sweeney was then handcuffed to his chair and began to cry. He apologized to the court for the outburst, which Judge Katz accepted. Attorney Michael Adelson requested that Judge Katz rule Pierce's testimony inadmissible because it was prejudicial. Prejudicial, thank you. (laughs) Judge Katz granted the request, and the jury only learned about Pierce's testimony after the trial. Katz also refused to allow testimony from Dunn's mother, Ellen Dunn, as well as Dunn's friends, citing their statements about Sweeney's abusive nature as hearsay. Why? On October 29th, defense attorney Michael Adelson also requested that Judge Katz rule the court lacked sufficient evidence to try Sweeney on the charge of first-degree murder because predetermination was not established. Judge Katz granted the request, and as such, the jurors were instructed to consider the charges of manslaughter or second-degree murder. Deputy District Attorney Steve Barshop later said that the decision, along with Judge Katz's previous rulings bearing the testimonies of both Sweeney's ex-girlfriend and Dunn's mothers and friends, seriously undermined the prosecution's case against Sweeney. On September 21st, 1983, after eight days of deliberation, the jury acquitted John Sweeney of second-degree murder, but found him guilty of the lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter. He was also convicted of misdemeanor assault for the altercation with Dunn that occurred on September 26, 1982. Dunn's family was rightfully outraged by the verdict, calling it an injustice. After Judge Katz excused the jury and commented on the judicial system being upheld, Dominic Dunn, the victim's father, yelled, Not for our family, Judge Katz. Before he left the courtroom, Dominic Dunn accused Judge Katz of purposely withholding Sweeney's ex-girlfriend's testimony from the jury, which would have established his violent history with women. Victim for Victims, a victim's right group, which was founded by actress Teresa Saldana, protested against the verdict by staging a march outside the courtroom. Afterwards, several media outlets also debated the events of the trial and the verdict. Several outlets criticized Judge Katz's rulings, which many argued were preferential. (laughs) Teamwork. (laughs) Towards the defense. One local Los Angeles television station polled viewers who rated Judge Katz the fourth worst judge in Los Angeles County. I wonder if um, Sweeney came from a good background like his family had hmm. money. Yeah, maybe you know? he was because he was dating an actress. So maybe yeah. he had some pool somewhere. Yeah. On November 7th, Sweeney was sentenced to six years in prison for manslaughter. 
which was a maximum sentence which he could have received, with an additional six months for the assault charge. At Sweeney's sentencing, Judge Katz criticized the jury's verdict of manslaughter, stating that he felt that Dunn's death was a case pure and simple of murder, murder with malice. So Katz is going against the jury, but you set this all up, Dick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, you know, um, something happened and uh, he, to save his face, Mm kind of looked good. Yep. The jury's foreman, Paul Spiegler, later told the media that both he and his fellow jurors were surprised by Judge Katz's criticism, and he called his comment a cheap shot. Spiegel felt that Judge Katz's criticism did not stem from their verdict from the harsh criticism he received afterwards. Spiegel went on to say that he had the jury had been provided with the opportunity to hear all of the evidence it would have convicted Sweeney of murder. Yeah. The Aftermath on the advice of Tina Brown, Dominic Dunn kept a journal throughout the trial. His journal writings were later published in an article titled Justice, a father's account of the trial of his daughter's killer, which was featured in the March 1984 issue of Vanity Fair. Shortly after the trial, Judge Burton S. Katz, who presided over the case, transferred to the juvenile court in Silmar, Los Angeles. He later admitted that some of his controversial rulings in Dunn's case pained him, but he reiterated his thought that Sweeney should have been convicted of murder and given a lengthier sentence. A year after her daughter's death, Dominique's mother Ellen Lenny Dunn founded Justice for Homicide Victims, a victims' rights advocacy group. After the trial, John Sweeney was incarcerated in a medium-security prison in Susanville, California, he was released on parole in 1970, 1986. So he served like a year. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Three years. Three years. After like serving that. only three years, seven months, and 27 days of a six-and-a-half-year sentence. After his release, Sweeney was hired as a head chef at an upscale restaurant in Santa Monica, California. After he discovered where Sweeney was working, Dunn's brother Griffin and her mother Lenny stood outside the restaurant, where they handed out flyers to patrons. The flyers read, The food you will eat tonight was cooked by the hands that killed Dominique Dunn. Sweeney eventually quit his job due to the protests which were staged by the Dunn's family, and he moved out of Los Angeles. To even fucking stay in Los Angeles is yeah. like a huge motherfucker. He's like giving them the finger, you know? Yeah. So, well. You got away with murder, bro. Fucking go to... Go to New York. Go to the opposite he, end he, of the country. He gave OJ inspiration. He was OJ before OJ. I know. <laughs> In the mid-1990s, Dominic Dunn was contacted by a Florida physician who came across an article which Dunn wrote about Dominique's death. The doctor informed Dunn that his daughter had recently become engaged to a chef who went by the name of John Sweeney and inquired if that man was the same man who was responsible for Dominique's death. The man was later identified as the same John Sweeney and in an effort to protect the one woman who was now engaged to John Sweeney, Dunn's brother Griffin contacted the woman and asked her to reconsider her decision. This motherfucker. Subsequently, Sweeney accused the Dunn's of harassing him, and in an effort to f- avoid further altercations, he changed his name. In later interviews in which Dominic Dunn discussed his daughter's murder, the writer shared that for a time he employed the services of a private investigator, Anthony Pelicano, and asked him to follow Sweeney and report on his actions and whereabouts. According to Dunn's father, Pelicano reported that Sweeney had moved to the Pacific Northwest, assumed the name John Mora, and continued to work as a chef. Later, Dunn's father said that he decided that he no longer wished to squander his life by following Sweeney, and as a result of his decision, he discontinued all attempts to maintain his knowledge of Sweeney's whereabouts. I agree and disagree with that. You know, I get by him still doing that, he wouldn't let his daughter rest, you know? Yeah. And he wouldn't heal. But me being the vindictive person I can be, or I used to be, I still do it to the day I die. The fact that he got off basically scot-free. And they didn't civilly try him because the idiot doesn't have any money. And what's that going to get you? You know, it's a shame, like, in our judicial system, if I'm convicted of something, I can appeal it. But if I'm found, you know, guilty or innocent, 
and serve a abysmal sentence, the prosecution can't appeal that. You know, it's and it's the judge's fault for him getting away with murder. Um, but yeah, he, you know, if it's 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 a sad story and it inspired Dominic to later do what he did for his investigative journalism. And he recently passed away a few years ago. But I just remember growing up, like in my my teenage years, like in high school, he he had a distinctive voice and uh his show was really good. But getting back to Heather O'Rourke real quick, um, with her, you know, her body was killing her, and it was evident in Portergeist 3 because you know, and a lot of people were mocking her. Like, I'll I'll read the threads on the internet of how chubby she was in yeah. part three. That wasn't of her own doing. That was her body shutting down, and that's why she gained the weight. And I just remember um, when E did E True Hollywood Story. They did the Porter. Remember those great shows, mm-hmm. like in the nineties? Um, there was a Poltergeist curse episode and that was talked about like that was because of her her stomach if i remember correctly i believe her stomach her intestines were twisting if that's what ultimately happened and if you don't get that if you don't get that it's very it's rare it's more rare in humans to get that it happens a lot in small dogs i've only known like one person in my life that had it and if you don't get it taken care of soon enough, you're going to die. But the fact that this little girl lived as long as she did with this, because you're, you're thinking about your insides are twisting. So, but all right, let's get on to my favorite horror character next in a horror franchise. All uh, right. Reverend Kane. Julian Beck. In 1985, actor Julian Beck, who played Kane, the evil reverend in the second poltergeist, Died of stomach cancer. So he was super creepy and too. I, I'll never forget this. We talked about it before. I'll never forget the flashback of him being in the cave with the followers. <laughs> stripping. Oh my God. It was so fucking creepy. But his first introduction in the mall. Oh yeah. Are you, are you lost little girl? It is Joe Biden. Let's, <laughs> let's sing a song. And then again, the God is in his holy temple and. Now that they did the meme with Joe Biden, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> but when he makes himself known to the father or the mom in the rainstorm, or what's the father? Father. And he's like, let me in. And then you realize it's only raining over him. Because if you yeah. look past there, that was fucking yeah. creepy. Yeah. But he played a hell of a job. Um, he did. He yeah. died of stomach cancer, but he was of the age. So... He was old, man. I'm, I'm not calling <laughs> curse on this one. No, and, you know, the guy, you know, he, again, he was dying when he was making this film. Yeah. Yeah. So we also have Will Sampson, who played Taylor, the medicine man, passed away in 1987 from post-operative kidney failure. Between 1982 and 1988, the six years during which the three films released, the Poltergeist franchise saw four deaths from its cast members. And I believe um, Will Sampson, I believe he also, he was like a shaman in his Native American tribe. And I think he also like did a blessing on the set of, because he got some bad juju feelings. Yeah, I think I might have and, that deep in here. We'll and see. he was also, he played a great character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, too. He did. Yeah, such a good movie. It was. I haven't watched it in decades, so i got to get oh, back to man. that. I forgot how good it was. And, like, so many great actors are in it besides um, Nicholson. You had Christopher Lloyd, uh, Brad Dorough, Will Sampson, um, the woman that played um, Nurse Hatchet. Who later would become the evil grandmother and um, flowers in the attic? Uh, yeah, I think Louise Shepard. Yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, I remember seeing her at like Monster Mania, like the last Monster Mania I went to, and she still, even though she had age, you could see it in her eyes, like that's her. Though not often cited as part of the Poltergeist curse, the gruesome death of actor Lou Perryman, who had a small part as Pugsley in the original Toby Hooper Steven Spielberg film. He was the main um, construction guy when they were putting in the pool. 
He was the one coming in the window and getting the coffee. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it reignited interest in the curse in 2009. He was murdered with an axe in his own mm. home. It's not unusual for a movie 33 years old to have cast member deaths, but the abnormal manner of Perryman's death was worthy of a note among the unfortunate events surrounding the film. Louis Byron Perryman, also known as Lou Perry, was an American character actor, acting in a number of small roles both on television and in films such as The Blues Brothers, Poltergeist, Boys Don't Cry, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He was a film crew member on the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. In the sequel, Texas Chainsaw 2, he portrayed LG, the radio station manager. So you can tell he was good friends with Hooper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perryman also starred in Texas independent filmmaker Eagle Pennell's The Whole Shooting Match and Last Night at the Alamo. Perryman was killed in his home in Austin, Texas on April 1st, 2009 by a 26-year-old man named Seth Christopher Tatum. Tatum had recently been released from prison for aggravated robbery, had gone off his medication, and had been drinking. He later confessed that he killed Perryman with an axe. On June 26, 2009, Tatum was indicted on two counts of capital murder. Tatum pleaded guilty to murder, was convicted on February 1, 2011, and he was sentenced to life in prison. So, many people have cited the skeletons in the film for the curse, later revealed to be real dead bodies because they were apparently cheaper than fake ones, which I don't understand. Me neither, yeah. In an effort to cleanse the set of evil spirits, actor Will Sampson, who was also a shaman, performed an actual exorcism after shooting one night. Actress Jo Beth Williams, who plays the mom, Diane Feeling, Freeling, has said that during filming she would always come home to find pictures on her wall crooked, even if she straightened them the day after or the day before. Mm. So... But they used bodies in the first movie. Will didn't come to the second movie. Yeah. So maybe they thought there was just carrying with the title. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? In a race in a recent Reddit, oh, I fucking hate Reddit. Yeah. AMA director Gil Keenan of the New Poltergeist detailed some unnerving events during filming. The location for the house during shooting I chose because it had a strange and unnecessary feel that the houses of the particular community were built around. He wrote, and we found throughout production that we had persistent and repeatable equipment field only on that strange plot of land. Huh. For instance, light that could turn on anywhere else in the neighborhood would blow out the second you tried to light them on this plot. It's unclear whether this is spooky for reasons other than something totally normal and logical, Plus, considering Keenan has been trying to catch a curse since he was 11. <laughs> it's possible some of the oddities have been amplified in his head. But here's the scariest and latest chapter of The Mysterious Cursed. Just last month. I'm not sure when this was written. But they talked about the remake coming out soon, so I think about the time of the remake. So about 2013 or 14, yeah. I think. A family in Sacramento claimed to have experienced horrifying events after purchasing the Cabbage Patch doll... That once belonged to Heather O'Rourke. Oh, I'm sorry. So wait a minute. So are you talking about the questioning of the article? Was an article was written or when the movie was released? I think the article was written when the movie was released. The original movie? No, the remake movie. Oh, because they were talking about the Cabbage Patch style that belonged to Heather O'Rourke. Yeah, but the article was Oh, written. they're talking about it years later. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. The details of the case can be found here, along with the email the couple sent paranormal investigators Paul Dale Roberts, co-owner co of Halo Paranormal Investigations. The husband, Dusty, said that since he and his wife, Jamie Lynn, are huge fans of Poltergeist, they excitedly bought the doll off of eBay, but terrible things happened shortly after. Now, how are you going to... Okay, this is why I don't believe the story right here. How are you going to say it was owned by Heather O'Rourke if he bought off of eBay? I could sell anything and say it was owned by something and have it on eBay. It's, it's hard to certify that. Yeah. Unless the parents sold it. But how would you track yeah. that down, too? Yeah, yeah. But the parents are going to sell that any fucking way. Yeah. The doll arrived on 30th of October. We were in awe. Halloween day. Well... That's the day before Halloween, asshole. We left for our <laughs> anniversary trip to Reno. Our anniversary is November 1st. 
While in Reno, we got a call that my wife's stepbrother had been in a terrible accident while playing soccer. Did someone drive on the soccer court? Like, how do you fucking get in a terrible accident playing soccer? Yeah. Got injured playing soccer? You could say that. He ended up with a ruptured, ruptured spleen and broken ribs. Due to internal bleeding, he was hospitalized for five days. Three days later, my father-in-law became ill. Within two days, he was in a coma. He was diagnosed with encephalitis. He remained in a coma for five to six days, and we almost lost him. Miraculously, he woke up and was released after a nine-day stint. He is still in rehab for brain damage. We thought we could get back to our lives after a few trying weeks. On December 2nd, my wife found out her childhood friend John had committed suicide by gunshot. December 8th, our good friend Dawn died of heart failure. She was 33. Shortly after, my mother was having agonizing pain in her hip. She ended up having surgery. On January 7th, my wife's uncle Jeff, not a blood relative, he was her best friend's father, he was her best friend's father who took my wife on more than one occasion as a child. Passed away from a heart attack. He had no no medical conditions. January 26th, my wife was hospitalized for the night with a rare intestinal infection. The end of January, I left my job for a new company. On February 12th, I was let go. February 14th, we had to put our dog Zeus down. Early March, our four-year-old Pomeranian lost a tooth. <laughs> This guy's just writing about his life fucking story and how this uh, doll caused it. Uh, but we're going to continue because I'm fucking highly entertained. <laughs> Shortly after, my wife was told something was wrong with her heart and they suspended her driver's license. She had to wear heart monitors for 24 hours twice and they still don't know what is wrong. On March 27, due to an error, current county child support levied my account right before a bunch of debit purchases and auto drafts cleared. This left us with a a negative account balance of almost $2,000. My car broke down two days prior. Last week, the doctors notified my mother that her surgery not only failed, she had a fracture in her hip. She had a hip replacement. April 8th. On top of all this, my wife and I have not gotten along. There's constant tension in the air, and the topic of divorce has come up more than once. I caught up the paranormal investigator on this case to hear his take on the curse. If there has been any follow-ups with the doll owners. Paul Dale Roberts has worked on thousands of cases since he started in 2006. And he does indeed believe the poltergeist curse exists. Yeah, I believe the negative energy can be thrown upon something. It can be thrown upon any inanimate object and stay there. When a person gets around the negative energy, something bad can happen to them. They may get sick, someone close to them could get sick, there can be death. <sighs> so this guy bought a doll off of eBay, and everything in his life happened because of this fucking doll. Okay. <laughs> he believes the doll was responsible for Dustin and Jamie Lynn's recent misfortunes as well. He explained there was some type of curse on it. I mean, it has the history. It goes all the way back to the Poltergeist movie. Steven Spielberg supposedly used human bones from India, which upset the spirit world, which caused the curse. So yeah, I believe that the curse was manifesting from the doll, and when it was trying to prevent the cleansing, which caused me to become dizzy, he and his wife Dina Stinson, a psychic, work on cases together. She confirmed an evil spirit attached to the doll. But here's the thing, though. There's an evil spirit in this remote. I'm a demonologist. You gotta listen to me. Where's our Discovery TV show? Is it, like... Is it a known fact that the doll was on set? You know, is the doll's name right. Annabelle? There's no way to fucking know where this doll... <laughs> the doll might have never seen the set. Yeah. Oh, my God. When he tried to cleanse the household, he felt a resistant spirit. I felt very, very dizzy, he says. I felt off balance. It was almost like something was trying to prevent me from cleansing the doll. He believes the cleansing was successful, though. The couple still owns the doll, but now keep it in a blessed glass case. Things are calm now, he said. So, is the latest Poltergeist in danger? Robert doesn't think so. Now, even though the movie is a remake of Poltergeist, I don't think it has a connection to the curse. I think everybody is relatively safe now. Perhaps we can all go see the new Poltergeist with it. You guys are morons. The only the only thing it's in danger of is being a shitty remake. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I said, if it was a different movie, it would have been good. Yeah, yeah, like call it like a a haunting or something. But yeah, just, just um, call it whatever. I mean, you know, like it's very, you know, it's very interesting. Is the film cursed? Not necessarily. I think. I think uh, there's a series of misfortunes. Yeah, there's there's and when you're when you're making a horror movie such as this or The Exorcist, strange things happen. They're going to say, "Oh, this film is cursed." Um, and who the fuck does Steven Spielberg know that you can get bones from India cheaper than a plastic skeleton? Well, maybe because when they were making um, like Indiana Jones and they had to get props or something. Yeah, maybe. Know? I mean. Yeah, plastic skeletons aren't cheap, and then you gotta corpse them. So, yeah, let's just use real dead bodies and but throw them. They in the were pool. they they were effective though. You yeah, know? they looked uh, real. Played really good. <laughs> you know, in another scene, <laughs> you moved the tombstones, but you left the bodies. You know, like that was a great scene too. Like that was an. But here's okay. He, okay, here's the thing. In the first movie, it was built on a cemetery. Indian burial ground. I thought it was a cemetery. I think it was a both. Okay. But in the second movie, Cain, that is where Cain led them. Yeah. Like, so what's going on, Hollywood? You're confusing me. Well, I mean, that's what we live in. That's horror. It's all supposed to be fucking confusing. Man, and I would love if we got, you know, I. I know Dave Brown and I recently talked about this um, because we just recorded uh, last week. But when we were talking about if they made a Poltergeist prequel, someone has shared an article like, what if uh, Walton Goggins, who is a great character actor. And, you know, if you're a fan of the shield, he played um, the second, second man. Um, He was in, excuse me, justified. He had a small role in House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Reject. He, I mean, he's a little older now. He's probably like in his 50s, but he has the the look, mm-hmm. the acting capabilities to be a young Julian Beck for Kane if they were to do like a prequel. So, um, but you know, like the more I think about it, Kane could have been a substitution for Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. You know, bringing the religious really, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it could also be a substitution for David Koresh. Same principle. Speaking of David Koresh, what do you think of the guy that they got to play the young David Koresh in Waco? He's not. He doesn't have the. He doesn't bring uh, it. You know what I mean? Like not like the guy who played the older Koresh. Yeah, he he brought. He he felt like fucking David because I watched a lot of old David Crash videos because that mm-hmm. guy was a fucking freak. But um, so I was doing a little reading online, and the woman that he was um, courting or whatever, who was the head of the Davidians, they gave her a lot of liberties because the, the real woman looked like an old librarian from the seventies. And apparently there was some, they didn't tell the full story of that last episode because it was supposed to be a battle between the two Jesus people of who could bring a body back. Then they would take over Camp David. Okay. That's the true story behind it. Mm. What the fuck? Like, how do you get so brainwashed that you're just... Cheering up the cornfield, they go. Oh, they're gonna have a, a. Oh, I'm gonna follow whoever raises the dead body. At what point are you like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I yeah, here? But you know, when you when you're that devout, and it's 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 a kind of like a catch twenty two. Do the people that follow these quote unquote prophets do they have a mental disorder themselves? I would have you know? to think so. Because, like, even in Jonestown, like, let's let's go to Guana or wherever the fuck they yeah. ended up. What? Yeah. Like nine hundred people, yeah. So, and again, like, I feel like this generation, there's nothing. Not to say it's cool, but I mean, there there very well could be a cult that we don't know about. But you know, I think because of just how we are in society, it's so easy to find out when someone's disconnected and. You know, um, 
But I feel like, yeah, it's, I mean, I think Heaven's Gate was the last <laughs> cult that made uh, any history when they all wore, what was it, the Nikes, or they all wore the same shoes, remember? Yeah, this, the whole same outfit. It was uh, yeah. Black Jordan, not Black Jordan, uh, Black Air Force Ones, uh, Black Sweatpants, Black Robes, yeah. and then they were all found in bed. Yeah. Um, I think there's still cults out there, without a doubt. Yeah, but it's just like... They're not as relevant. I I just don't understand. Well, hopefully you know? not. Hopefully people can't get that fucking conditioned. Is what just gets me. Like, I think it's we're kind of safe too because this generation they're you know <laughs> they're they're not built for a cult mentality. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you gotta you gotta give up that technology. No, I need to go on TikTok. I need to make some talks. I need to make yeah. some talks. Yeah, I, it, it, Waco bothers me for that reason. Like, it's a um. That is definitely, without a doubt, the government. You know, fucked up and trying to blame the Davidians. Um, I believe, you know, like, did they start to fire the Davidians? I don't think so. We'll never know because but it is interesting be... that the door is missing. Yeah. You know, it, it, we're never going to know. That's no, the, the thing. Government, the government well, won't let us. That's know hidden because... so well. I mean, we still don't have all the files of the JFK, even when they were supposed to be released. Half that yeah. shit was still redacted. Yeah. So they're breaking their own too. fucking Freedom Act. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it, you will never know. But like, I get both sides. A, after Manson, I don't want any fucking cults. So I was for the government. Hey, you know what? The fuck are you doing stockpiling weapons? And you're fucking 10-year-olds in there. Like, no. Just because you're a religious land doesn't mean you don't have fucking laws. And why does every cult call for the leader to, like... Father every child? <laughs> yeah, and have, like, 30 wives. <laughs> I think he's. Uh, I think that's. His, I think it's a power play. It know? is. That's As what you, it is. <laughs> and that's all and the they are. That, yeah, and I mean, like the fact that like a lot of the husbands were okay with that. Yeah, they're like, oh, like, you know what? Go fuck my wife. I'm gonna go fix the Buick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The fact uh, that you know, he just wasn't punched right in the fucking nose after mentioning that just shows me how fucking brain dead people could get. Yeah, yeah. Um but it also makes you wonder was he the chosen one? Was he the prophet? Is he gonna come back to earth and you know? <laughs> makes you go, hmm. No, it doesn't it also makes you it, well to me it does as far as makes you go, hmm, like what if Waco never happened? What would have happened with Koresh and his followers? Right. That's what worries me. Yeah. Is these guys are stockpiling weapons in the middle of fucking nowhere, Texas, training, building families at 10 years old, impregnating 11 yeah. year olds. What, what's your ultimate plan here? And like, I, yeah. I know you tried making money buying gun parts and selling guns, but you had a whole fucking armory down there. That's not shit you built. You bought those whole. That was proven. And, you know, the government, you know, they're against militias and maybe they thought this was going to be something if we don't put an end to it, it could be something worse. So let's put it into it. But again, because of their actions, uh, Oklahoma City happened. Yeah, you know, maybe to an the, extent. The, I think they were going to do that to Oklahoma City any fucking way because they were oh, already in works of that. Good, good conspiracy theory. Like Ruby Ridge was the. The tell to Waco. Yeah. Yeah, it you know, and that story is just bad. I mean, that that, that, that was bad. the government fucking up. Yeah, like yeah. they weren't up to good stuff there, but they weren't up to let's murder the entire family. Yeah, and the the the, the father actually just passed away a few years ago. I follow the the daughter, the surviving daughter on Facebook. Like the I forget the it's called Ruby the uh, Ruby Ridge something Freedom, but she seems like a very humble person and doesn't. She doesn't hold a grudge where she uses social media to bash the government. 
she uses it to never forget what happened. Yeah. And yeah, her whole family was assassinated by snipers for yeah. for no reason. Yeah. Because yeah. they got scared. Yeah. That's what happened. And then that's why they went in the Waco full fucking force with video cameras to yeah. show you can't fuck with us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We'll never know if David Crash would have came out peacefully. My vote's no. No, I, if anything, he would have used his followers as like a shield. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Yeah. Why are all the kids locked in a basement and metal doors? Yeah. You know, like, why aren't you trying to get them the fuck out of there? Yep. That right there. Because they were invading from the front. There was nothing yeah. really going on. through. You could have sent them out the fucking back door. Yeah. You, you know, plain and simple like like Koresh and anyone else who is a uh, in that power they're cowards at the end look at like osama mm-hmm. like i think he, he like or i think he had a woman like he put a woman in front of him to shield him oh i'm sure before. yeah you know that story is great too i love hearing you know i read um the book called no easy day and it was uh not about the it wasn't written by the actual shooter but one of the members of the team and great great read and uh you know, just uh, but again, is Osama dead? <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I, he's dead, but I think he was dead way before they got there. Yeah, yeah, because he was on dialysis before even nine eleven. And how are you yeah. fucking doing dialysis in a cave in the fucking Iraq mountains? Is the CIA's funding him? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we trained him. That's like a know? four episode right there. Four episode. That's more than that. Holy man! That'll get us fucking canceled. We'll have to start the hard shit podcast yeah, too. You know what? Like, <laughs> you know, it just—it's just so ironic. Like Rambo Three was about us fighting alongside them because the evil Russians were invading, and little did we know we were training them. But yeah, it's a whole other smorgasbord. Let's yeah, the left house on the uh, last podcast on the left deal with that. Yeah, we'll we'll let them play with that. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. But, um, all right, well, good job on the poltergeist. Curse. Yeah, man, um, we got deep into the Dominic Dunn. I learned something new with um, the gentleman who was killed by the other guy. I didn't hear about that story. Me so. neither. That was new to me. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't hear about that. Adds to the theory. But 33 years later, a little stretch. Yeah, yeah. So do yeah. you think there's a poltergeist curse? No, I think just a series of unfortunate events that happened. And because it's attached to a movie that's a... Uh, uh, you know, any like I said with the Exorcist and the Poltergeist, it's like these things can happen, you know. Yeah. And I think it's just because there are such famous horror movies, a lot of strange occurrences happen. So I think it's just a curse. To me, I would call it a curse if throughout production things were happening where they couldn't even finish filming the movie. For instance, okay, the Curse of the Thirty Three. You've heard of that, where the uh, famous actor musician dies at thirty-three or twenty-seven. I forget what it was. I think it's twenty-seven. So there's a movie that's been they've been trying to get it made for so many years. The first actor that was attached to play the star was John Belushi, Hmm. and then he died. When they tried to get it off the ground again, the second actor who was um, going to star in that role was Chris Farley. And Chris Farley was like, John Belushi was his inspiration yeah. and they died at the same age. So um, I forget how I read this story. I was listening to a podcast and um, because they were doing, I think it's a story on um, movie curses, actually. And I think this was something they had talked about. But yeah, I think a, a, a curse in a movie is only if the movie just couldn't get finished they started filming and just shit started happening and they're like all right cut you know we're out of here yeah i'm more towards the exorcist curse with the set burning down and everything and show yeah yeah for sure um yeah definitely um yeah i'll I'll go i'll I'll take it anytime you fuck around the devil you know (laughs) shit's gonna happen all right i think we'll leave that there guys tell us what you think put in the comments hit that like button subscribe make sure you check out the friday the 13th filming locations tell us what you think i mean it was our first attempt i feel tested some mics today so hopefully the audio will be a little better nothing but uh great feedback yeah you know but we want the bad feedback too i I sent it to everyone that's critiqued my shit i'm like listen other than the audio 
tear this fucking thing apart. And I got nothing but good stuff back. Yeah. yeah. So I was happy I mean, to hear it. The only thing that I could do better on my part is not to veer off the right field when I'm talking. Um, but that's just a bad habit no, of mine. But we're, it's, it's, it's natural. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. The natural, yeah. us having a conversation. That, like, you're just showing me around. That's what we're yeah. looking for. We're going to have stutters. We're going to have all that. This is not fucking scripted. We're firing from the hip in some cool-ass spots. And we got two that we're working on. So if you guys have anywhere within the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York area that you'd like to see, let us know. It might be a movie we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So hit us up, comment, subscribe. We hit 105 subscribers today. <laughs> Look at us. Look at that. <laughs> We're 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 only there now. We only need what nine hundred, nine hundred and ninety nine thousand more to get that plaque. Yep. Well, I think our first goal should be five hundred. Let's relax on the plaque. Let's calm down. I think we're gonna need yeah, a lot it's... more filming videos before we start talking about a plaque. Yeah, true. So, but yeah, guys, let it. us know what you think. Hit us up. You know all our shit. Website, email, Facebook, text, but I don't give a shit. Your sister's ass. But uh, this has been the Hard Shed Podcast, and we will see you next Monday. Halloween Hunt 365 Productions.